If you would begin finding your way back to a seat, your seat preferably. Uh, Avery Palin is going to read for us from God's Word in Matthew 19. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit in on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us real quick before we consider this. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. We thank you that um, you have promised to be with us this morning, and indeed you are with us because we are gathered in your name. And we pray now that as we open your word and consider it, that you would uh, be pleased to uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our, re our redeemer, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Lord, do that which only you can do. Take these mere words and bring us, bring us toward your throne that we might behold your goodness and be changed. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a, as a father, one of the things that I get the privilege of doing is uh, raising children. We have three lovely little girls. I think they're here this morning. After uh, about midway through that call to worship, I realized I forgot to send my wife the address, so um, we'll see. Sarah, are you here? <laughs> Indeed, she's not. Great. Okay, y'all can pray for us. Um, a couple weeks ago, before uh, church one morning, Nora Klein, who's our oldest daughter, six years old, she came up to me, and she had money in each hand. She had a $10 bill in this hand and a $1 bill in this hand. She said, Daddy, 
I'm going to take this money to church and put it in the offering plate like you and mommy do. And she was beaming. She was so excited. And in my mind, I'm thinking, where'd that come from? Did she get into my money? Did she get into Sarah's money? She said, but daddy, I got it out of my piggy bank. I want to give it to the church. And I, as, I, as I looked at this money, particularly that $10 bill, there was that part of my heart that thought, man, that's a lot of money for you. I don't, I don't know how it got in there. I know where it didn't come from, but that's a lot of money, Norcal. I'm thinking all these things in my mind. But, you know, I, I decided I need to really be with her in this moment. And I was like, that's great, babe. I'm so excited. And so that morning at church, it happened to be a Sunday morning where they were collecting a, a diaconal offering, kind of an over and above offering. And there was an envelope there. And Nora Klein was so excited to put this money in the envelope and then seal it and write her name on it in a pseudo-cursive. And so she did that and, and dropped it in the offering plate as it came by. And she was, man, it was so exciting. And her excitement was only matched by my humility of the moment, thinking, Lord, I, there's just something I don't get about this. A week later, this is two weeks ago at this point, um, two weeks ago from today, <laughs> Nora Klein, it was, we were getting ready for church, hair, brushing teeth, maybe if we, if we remembered, eating, all that kind of stuff, and Nora Klein comes up to me this time, and she's got a $20 bill. And, um, you know, being a, a good father, I decided it was time for a little instruction, so I kind of got down on her level and, and thought, so Nora Klein, let me tell you something, babe. That's a lot of money. And uh, I don't know who put it in there, probably Mish or Nanny, but I bet when they put that in there, they were thinking that you would use it for something one day, something you really needed or maybe something you really wanted. And so... If you could maybe go and take that and put it back in your piggy bank, that would be great. And um, I started getting ready for this sermon, and I was going to preach on the rich young ruler, and I looked at those little three verses ahead of it as we read this morning, and it talks about not, not keeping the children from coming to Jesus. And man, I had to go to my daughter that week and confess to her, babe, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did that, and I said that to you, and I didn't let you take your money to church. Will you forgive me? And she, she graciously did. And what that episode revealed to me for the thousandth time, and what I'm sure you're thinking in your own heart, is that, is that I have a problem with having. I have a problem with having. And I would guess that you have a problem with having. Some of you, it's that you have a lot and you struggle with what to do with that having. Some of you, it, it's at the other end of the spectrum. You may not have a lot. But that condition of your heart is, is so similar that you want more because you want what those things can get you. And I, for just clarity's sake, I'm not talking about those of you who have legitimate needs. You know, the bills aren't being met. It is fine to want your, your lights to stay on. Okay, let's just say that outright. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that part of our hearts that, that really struggles with possessions. That really struggles with how to have things from a right spirit. And in this passage this morning, Jesus comes at a man who, who has a lot. This man is rich. He is a rich young man. A rich young ruler, some would say. 
And my hope this morning is that as we begin to unpack this and take our eyes and focus on this man, that we wouldn't just stay there in our gaze, but that we would take that gaze and turn it inward and look at our own hearts. That as we consider all that we have in Jesus, that we might be moved to give the things that we have on our own and in our own life. And this is not some uh, Blake, like, <laughs> pseudo-juke, hey, can you come and preach about money? Um, this isn't me as someone who raises support saying, hey, I really actually want you to support RUF at Tulsa. This is something that Jesus talks about a lot, and the Bible talks about a lot, because money has an uncanny ability to have our hearts. And so let's look at this together. The first thing I want us to see in this passage is simply that having, that having blinds us to seeing what we need the most. Having blinds, uh, blinds us to seeing what we need the most. Several places in this passage, if you would look, kind of glance there, this word have comes up. Right off the bat, the man uh, comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what, must I, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? To have eternal life. Now, look, that sounds like a fair enough question. It's a great question, actually, if you consider that eternal life is something that's immensely important, something that we all ought to consider. But the way this man cups at this and the way that the passage goes on to be unpacked, it becomes clear that when he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life, this man is thinking, okay, there's a transaction to happen here that I have found in my life that, that most everything's for sale, most everything has a price. Perhaps God, the, the one who holds the keys to eternal life, perhaps God himself has a price also. Perhaps I can do some really good thing and therefore be transferred into possession of eternal life. And what's so interesting in Jesus' response is that he doesn't even answer that question. He doesn't answer the question of how to have eternal life as a possession. He takes this man from a marketplace to a road. And look down with me. Jesus says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He doesn't say if you would have life. He said if you would enter life. And what begins to become clear out of the haze is that Jesus sees life in a way that is totally different from having possessions. He takes him from a market to a road. Now, when we hear that phrase, you need to keep the commandments, some of us may kind of shudder inside because we've grown up in this rich Protestant tradition perhaps, or maybe you haven't, and you, but, but you like the idea that, no, we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works. It's not about keeping the commandments in order to receive life or eternal life even. But, but let's don't be more spiritual than Jesus here, okay? Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. What is very true is that the road to the good life is filled with commandment-keeping, Notice, the road to the good life. I didn't say the entry point to the road. The road to the good life is filled with keeping God's law because God's law, His commandments are beautiful. They're beautiful. 
If you read Psalm 119, you will be so reminded of this. It is a whole, it's the longest psalm, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and its refrain is essentially this, Lord, your law is good. It delights the soul. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Moses, when he was recounting the law to the Israelites before they were to go in and take, and take over the promised land, he looks at them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and says, if you do these things, you will live. And so Jesus looks at this man and said, the way to enter life is to keep the commandments. And this man kind of runs down a few of them. Well, well which one's Jesus? And Jesus comes, comes back at him with a few. And, and he says, well, okay, all these I've kept. And it's a curious question he asks, what still do I lack? It's kind of, I, I don't know if he's saying, okay, Jesus, I, I got all this. Is there anything else? Or if he's saying, yeah, Jesus, I've done those, but, but I'm still lacking. My life still feels empty at some level. It's, it hasn't been filled. What still do I lack? And like a soldier who has successfully navigated a minefield and gets to the other side only to be shot down by a single sniper bullet, Jesus comes at him and says this, If you would be perfect, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. If you would be perfect, sell what you possess, give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And we see this man has a having problem because it finishes and says, this man went away sad because he had great possessions. He didn't get it. Jesus is prioritizing a way of living and being over a, a way of having. He says, look, it's not just that you have eternal life, you have to enter life. It's not just that you have some level of goodness, you have to be perfect. And he says, if you would be perfect. Now, when we hear the word perfect in our culture, we think without blemish, totally pure, faultless, nothing wrong, but in the Jewish mind, which Matthew is definitely operating out of, the word perfect simply means if you would be full, if you would live holistically and have a full life, if you would be perfect, go and do these things. Notice he is not offering this man a way of perfection through the law. He's entering this man a way of living fully through the law. He's saying there is something good about this. The whole life is offered here. So sell your possessions. Give them away. Take possession of the real treasure and come and follow me. And then you will know what it is to live. This man goes away sad. And friends, it is not because Jesus asked him to make a donation. It actually says this man came prepared to do some good deed. All the words there in the Greek and all that stuff that I used to understand really give the force that he wanted to do one thing. He was coming prepared to do one good deed, probably to make some great contribution. And Jesus doesn't give him that opportunity. 
He says, no, it's about something so much bigger. You need to go and not just give part of your wealth. You need to go and sell the very source of your wealth. You need to go sell the family business, young man. You need to go give up the royalties that are generating that pile of money you have over here. And then once you've done that, once you've made that transaction, and then I'm telling you, you need to give all of it away. You have debased yourself of the very thing that brought you this pride of life, this thinking that I can be right or be good enough through my giving or through my doing. You must go to the very heart of this and root it out and give it away. I think we all begin to sense and feel the uncomfortableness of this. It's what Blake no doubt talked about often through your series on the Ten Commandments when he talked about the idols of the heart and how the Lord commands us to worship nothing above Him. He must be first or He will be nothing. And what Jesus does in this question and in this command to this man to go sell it all is He exposes that this man had not kept had not kept the commandments because he had not kept the first one. That you shall have no other gods before me. This man showed, in fact, that he did have other gods. And we all do. I work with college students at the University of Tulsa, and one of the funny slash not funny things is when uh, a kid comes to college and they have a helicopter parent. And a helicopter parent, maybe that is you, maybe you've heard of it, maybe... Hopefully you won't be this, but a helicopter parent is a parent who just doesn't quite know how to let go. They've been, uh, we're nervously laughing, um, they've been so involved in their kids' lives. They've been so involved in the managing slash micromanaging of that schedule and so involved in every decision that when it comes time to, to send the child off to college, the mom or dad just doesn't know how to, how to take proper steps and give them a little bit of separation and, and try to let them figure it out on their own. And so they call all day long. There's the open line of texting with mom and dad like there should be with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's just like they don't know how to move on. Now, I don't know all those situations, but I would venture to say that these parents have made the child everything. Their lives have revolved around children, and when it comes time to leave the home, they just... They don't know how it works. They, they can't imagine life without being in every detail. So that's it for some helicopter parents. Maybe for you it is the issue of money. Maybe the issue of possessions and what you have actually has you. And maybe it is the functional God of your life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, look, I'm not going like, to be co-equal with that. I'm not going to share the throne. Or maybe for you, it's your career. Or maybe for you, it's that vacation that you've been saving up for. Something has all of us, and unless it's God, that thing that we have will have us. Almost by definition and design, possessions and havings give us a sense of comfort. They, they isolate us. They pad us a little bit from the discomforts of life. And look, y'all, there is an aspect of that which is beautiful and good. And God provides, and there's such thing as insurance and savings, which I am not here to say all of that is unbiblical. It's not. 
As with many things, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Our having is a problem because it, sees, it keeps us from seeing what we need the most. But secondly, what Jesus begins to offer this man, and what he begins to do is he shows this man how the antidote to having this having problem is to realizing that you have an, a heavenly solution. That the earthly treasure is the antidote to needing the earthly one. The heavenly treasure is the antidote to, to needing the earthly one. Look back in the passage at verse 21. Jesus responds again to this man and says, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now the thing that, that hits most all of us when we read that is, well, so how does this man, like how's he going to live? How's he going to eat? Where's he going to stay? And that, that's a fair question. It's a good question. Uh, a commentator, a pastor, I don't know what this guy is, but he wrote a book on the book of Matthew. He says this, his name's Fred Bruner. He says, Jesus does not call us to a mystic nothingness to some unrecovered or unrecompensed poverty, or even to some virtue for its own sake. Just do this thing. He calls us to transfer investments and to expect dividends. If we have the courage to devote what we have to the service of the poor, we will have a windfall of dividends that are literally out of this world, he says. I think he's right, because he's only saying what Jesus says here. The book of Proverbs similarly says, 1917, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. Jesus goes on to say in his prologue to the disciples in this passage, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, there's that possessions thing, houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I don't believe this. Most days, probably all days, I don't believe this functionally. I love the idea of this. If I'm kind of like, if the Holy Spirit's at work in me and I'm, I'm really sensing what Jesus is asking here, it makes sense, but in the day-to-day, -day, rubber meets the road, just doing my thing, I don't believe this because I don't believe Jesus. I, I don't trust what he's saying here. He is saying that there is such thing as a heavenly treasure that if you follow me, it is secure, it is guaranteed it's, it's better than the FDIC. It is guaranteed to be a windfall for you. You will lack nothing. And friends, until we begin to, to believe that and to hang on to that, even just a little bit, the things that we have will have us. It's the heavenly treasure that begins to unseat our desire for an earthly treasure. And notice I said begins because this will be a forever 
long process for the rest of your life. Think about this application of this. If, if you have parents, or, or perhaps you are a parent, and, and this may work with you with your children, but if you have parents who have told you that they have done some estate planning and they have, uh, they have a will that they've put together and that upon their death, then you will receive this amount of money and it will go toward your children's education. And it's in a trust that, that kind of delineates that. It's going to your kid's education, whether that be a private high school or college or whatever it is. The moment that you see that document and you see that it's been signed and dated and verified through the court system, the moment you see that and believe it, it begins to affect the way you think about saving for your kid's education. Because if legally speaking, this money is coming to you, now when is, is the variable there that we don't know, but if it's coming to you, then you, I promise, will breathe easier about your kid's future education and how it's going to be paid for. It will fundamentally change the way you see your money and, and what to do with the money that you earn. Do you spend it? Do you save it? Do we spend it on vacation? Do we put it away in the college fund? Do we give it away? Do we... Whatever it is. Jesus is saying there is an inheritance that is coming to you. And it's so sure and so certain that I'm going to send my Holy Spirit as a foretaste of that in heaven and He's going to sprinkle your life with His presence now to remind you that it's coming. So, let's get very practical with this in, a, in an uncomfortable way. If this is true, if this is true, then it may mean that you can actually delete the Zillow app from your phone and stop fantasizing about the house that you don't have. It means that you can stop obsessing over Pinterest or House Beautiful or Southern Living or whatever your little magazine is that you love, thinking, oh, if just my kitchen could be as white and as marbly as that one. I know, I know. If just... Maybe for you, it, it's your savings account. Maybe it's that, that account when you get the statement or the email once a month and you can go and click on it and say, yep, that's right. I'm secure, all is well. Maybe it will actually allow you to tell your daughter you're happy for her when she brings $20 and wants to give it away. Or maybe you can actually respond to the Holy Spirit as He's at work in you saying, you can give it away. You don't have to hold on to that. That's not your, that number right there on that page or that screen is not your security. They call them securities, and that's a brilliant marketing strategy. It is not your security. Jesus is saying, I have a treasure which is unmatched and unparalleled. I am building you a house right now. I'm preparing it even now. Will you believe me? If you will, you can stop obsessing about the house that you do or don't have right now. I have got a secure place for you, a secure life for you, where all of your dreams and desires will be fulfilled. Do you believe me? If you do, you can stop fretting about what is to come now. He promises 
God promises that He will take care of us as His children. He promises us. Uh, Jim Elliott, his, uh, he died a long time ago in a missionary endeavor plane crash. His wife, Elizabeth Elliott, just died a few weeks ago. And I saw my news feed before it was covered up with Confederate flags and rainbow flags, uh, was, was covered up with Elizabeth Elliott and kind of tributes to her. She was a brilliant writer and uh, really brilliant writer. Um, she wrote an account of Jim, her husband's, uh, one of his travels in the book Shadow of the Almighty. And he has a line, which I suspect some of you may have heard before, but that it just rips me open in that wonderful, awful kind of way. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It sounds like something Jesus would say. I think he's right. Finally, this morning, we see that having all that we need in King Jesus frees us, frees us to give it all away for King Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you have to. And if the, the application of this sermon is not, then therefore you must go give everything away. I am saying, though, that when you realize the riches that you have in Jesus, if Jesus were to call you to do that, maybe you could. Jesus looks at the man, finishes his saying to him and says, and come and follow me. Throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus says, follow me, whenever he invited the disciples off of the fishing shores to come and follow him, and elsewhere where he invites people to follow him, what he's saying is, trust me. Trust God. Trust me. What I'm asking you to do is absolutely hard. Come, follow me. Trust me. Now, what can those of us, all of us who come into this world with a disposition away from trusting God because of our sinful nature, original sin, what can sinners by birth do to change their heart to, when they, to, to a place where they would then go and trust God and follow Him, even giving away what they have? What can we do to enact that change? Nothing. On your own, you can do nothing. But when Jesus looks at His disciples... He says, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means it's impossible with you on your own. But with God, he says, with me, nothing's impossible. And so friends, what this very plainly means is that it is going to take a miracle of Jesus and his work of grace in your life if you will ever get to a point where your possessions and what you have doesn't have you. And if that is you, if you can say in all honesty that, I don't worship my possessions. I give it away all the time. Then celebrate this morning the miraculous work of grace that has been done in your life. And if that's not you this morning, beg God to do this miraculous work of grace in your life. Because he's calling us to behold and to have and to see all that we have in Jesus so that we might be moved to give it away for Jesus. God is inviting us to something beautiful and something profound, and something countercultural. And look, if you didn't need to give it away in order to come to Jesus in the first place, then seeing what you have in Jesus may mean you can now freely give it away. If you didn't have to give it away on the way in the door, 
to worship him, then now seeing what you have in him, perhaps you will be moved to give it away. So the question really of this whole passage comes to us to this one pointed question, do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus? Do you take God at his promise that he has your future in the palm of his hand and it is, it is so much more secure there than downtown at BOK? Or it is so much more secure there than behind the vault of any bank? I think probably honestly this morning the question for a lot of us would be sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I, I do believe Jesus and I trust him and I'm even moved to give it away spontaneously perhaps when a missionary comes or when Shane comes or somebody comes and asks for money, maybe you are freed up to give it. Praise the Lord and beg him to continue that work of grace to free you up to see what you have in him so you might give away what you have in this life. For some of you, the question may be, well, or the answer may be, I, I do trust Jesus. I have trust him to forgive my sins and to to give me the kind of the, the insurance policy to get out of hell. I get eternal life. I've trusted him with that, but I haven't even begun to trust him with the things of this world and my possessions and my career. <gasps> Would you let the Spirit work in you? Would you invite him to work in you and to begin to free you up from trying to control those things? And maybe for you the answer is, I don't trust Jesus. I don't, I've never trusted him with my sin. I'm still holding on to that. It, it is crushing me. It's defining me. And maybe you're tired of that. Maybe you're saying, I'm ready to let go of that kind of definition of myself. Friends, I would encourage you to ask Jesus to come and to come sit on the throne of your heart. And when he sits on the throne of your heart, that begins to mirror where he will be sitting forever, ruling and reigning. Would you have him come and rule and reign right there, right now? It will be for your good and for, your, for the blessing of you and those around you. Uh, just the, I'll close with this story. This past winter, my wife, I think it must have been about January, my wife Sarah, kind of in passing one day, said, Brent, uh, I'd love to go see Taylor Swift in concert. And confession, I love Taylor Swift. Don't like, I love her. Um, not in a romantic way, but in a very musical, wonderful way, holy way. I love her music. Um, and so I was excited. I thought, man, she's got a birthday coming up. There's Valentine's Day on the horizon, anniversaries in May. This is a kind of a catch-all deal. I think I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try to find tickets. So I got online. Uh, she was not playing Tulsa, which was not good. But So I started looking kind of for the regional places. And then kind of randomly, I looked down through the list of tour stops, and she was playing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where Sarah's from. And it happened to be a day when we were driving back from our RUF summer conference in Florida. And so I thought, man, this is amazing. This is going to work out well. And it was in uh, their fo the LSU football stadium. And so surely with 60,000 tickets, they would not be that expensive. And I clicked the little T there for Ticketmaster, and oh my gosh. I then got my phone out, opened my phone, like I have a flip phone. Uh, I got my phone out, texted all of Sarah's family who lives in Baton Rouge, and said, do any of y'all have hookups to get Taylor Swift tickets? Don't really want to pay full price. She has a brother-in-law named Chambliss who texted me back and said, don't buy tickets. Okay. It's, it was emphatic. Don't do this. Translation, I will get you tickets. Now, I had a choice in that moment. 
And in the subsequent two weeks, when I didn't text him back, I, I had a choice. Do I believe him or not? Do I trust him that he's going to come through for me or not? Now, how do I make that decision? Inevitably, I had to start asking questions about Chambliss. Is he trustworthy? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, I, don't, I mean, he talks a lot, but, but other than that, I don't think he's ever lied to me. He seems like he's trustworthy. He is the most talkative person I've ever met. I, yeah, I trust him. I trust him. I can believe him. Well, next question, can he afford this? Can he afford this? These things are expensive. He's a spinal surgeon. He could buy all of the tickets. <laughs> he can afford this, okay? Yes? Last question. Would he do this for us? Would he do this for us? Is he that kind? Is he that loving and good to us? Yes. Chambliss loves us. When we come down to Baton Rouge, he takes off work so he can hang out with us. They take us to dinner because they know we can't afford to eat at the places they eat at. But he loves us. On May 22nd, we sat stage side at Taylor Swift, and I sang my heart out. <laughs> Friends, you can take Jesus' promise to the bank. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. He can afford this. And he loves you. Are you in him? Is the, internal, is the internal treasure yours? If it is, take him to the bank and begin to let that future inheritance affect your life today and be changed by his grace and kindness. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you, thank you. Thank you that this passage is not a call for us to do better. Thank you for this passage, that this passage is not some summons for us to find life through doing. Thank you that this passage is an invitation to you and to trust you. And that how finding all we have in you will show us that having you is enough. Do that miracle in our hearts and give us faith to believe it now. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. Um, as we prepare our hearts uh, to give, uh, I pray that we will contemplate uh, giving, what giving joyfully means. Obviously, we are getting ready to give you the opportunity to, to give financially um, as we pass the offering baskets around, or you can give online uh, through the, uh, the city. If you don't have that app on your phone, you should get it. It's a great way to communicate with everybody in the church. Uh, but also other ways.